2: So, Anya, what did we watch?
1: We just watched, upon your repeated insistence, Fit to be Tied, which is how I feel about you right now, uh, the second episode of the first season of Beverly Hill Bunts, or Beverly Hills Bunts, the the second... (laughs) Shut up. You're so overwhelmed I, by the I'm so progress. mad at you. I'm so mad at you. This first aired on November 29th, 1987, and it should have stayed in the past. And, and let me like
2: <laughs> let, ladies, moments before we started recording, I, I mentioned that there's another half hour police show from the, the same era called Hooperman. And you said I think you made a joke say, Oh Pooperman
1: and <laughs> I this is this is the type not of emaciating. humor <laughs>
2: This is the type of, she saves the best stuff for the podcast. That Pooperman gag.
1: <laughs> you, maybe so, you're just an unclear mumbler.
2: And I said, it, it stars, of course, John Ritter. Everybody loves John Ritter. You said, who's John Ritter? And I said, well, he was on Three's Company. And you said, what was Three's Company? What was Three's Company? How, how, how do you live in this culture and not be aware of Three's Company? Because
1: I am not of your time. I'm much younger than you. I'm much hipper. My references are much more sharp and apt in this modern day world. You're just living in the past, man. You're living in the fucking past. You're watching Beverly Hills. Well, we'll get back.
2: We'll get back to that in a moment. So Three's Company was the show where uh, John Ritter playing Jack Tripper uh, lives with two uh, attractive females and the moralistic. Uh, Leering landlord uh, Only allows this Because he's led to believe That Jack is a homosexual And they get all sorts of wacky Mishaps and misunderstandings And it's kind of Relevant here Because the show Lasted a while Kind of ran its course And then they said well why don't we do a spinoff Of Three's Company We'll call it Three's a Crowd where Jack is now married to another woman. Uh, or pardon me, he wasn't married to her. He was living with her. But her uh, father-in-law didn't like it and was always butting in. So it's like you, you take, you completely change the show, take what made it work, throw it out the window, and add new ingredients in a desperate attempt to keep the show going. And that's relevant here.
1: Because that's what we're doing with Mr. Demi? Yes. <laughs> You're going to replace me with our dog, Lanny? Is that what you're going to do?
2: You have to admit, you're Pooperman Joe. <laughs> How can we go on after
1: that? <laughs> How can I go on with you after Beverly Hills Buns?
2: So there, there was this program called Hill Street Blues.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Uh, Dennis France, who most of us now know from his role in Bleacher Bums and also a little show called NYPD Blue, he played kind of a corrupt cop on that show. That character died, but they liked him so much they brought him back in kind of a softer version called Norman Muntz.
1: Can we just stop for a second? So he played Sipowitz, is that his name? on uh, NYPD Blue. And I we, we've watched some episodes. You were a big fan of that show. I've watched it here and there. I've gotten to know it through you, and he's really great in that. And I, I think that character is a very interesting portrayal of like an alcoholic and like kind of a You know, like, he's he's really rough around the edges. He's got some good qualities. But, like, that's a great role for him.
2: Yes, and so he played a similar role on Hill Street Blues as as a kind of a cop with rough around the edges. But he's, like,
1: pretty corrupt in Hill Street Blues, right? Originally,
2: he played a character that was very corrupt. That character dies. (laughs) They bring him back as a character that's only a little corrupt. And then that character, the last episode of Hill Street Blues, he leaves his job and goes to california with his informant
1: that's what i'm gonna do once this fucking episode's over <laughs> me and lanny are going to california
2: and open up a detective agency yeah, together that's the plan and so the character is softened even more and so that's what, that's what and i basically i mainly watched the show because uh there was a female actress in it named dana wheeler nicholson who is somehow related to the Wheeler Nicholsons that were involved in the founding of DC Comics. So I felt, as a, uh, as a historian of comics, I had to, uh, to watch the program. Did you ever watch a show for some reason not to do with the show? Like, oh, this person is related to the family that founded DC Comics. I need to show my support. Did you ever do anything like that?
1: No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I did it all the time.
1: Yeah, you were you were following that one guy from Battlestar Galactica and you were like following his career to support him like you have this really like big head when it comes to thinking that your viewership is singularly important that oh, people are gonna say, I don't know about this. I don't know about this new show. Oh, wait, it's got the Greenly <laughs> thumbs up. Well, then we better follow it. We better support this actor. No, I I, fo- I have human connections you have human connections so you can make things happen for these actors no, that you support. No. I you like, like their patron. You're their patron. Like it's like a client patron relationship, like from ancient Rome, they're going to come, they're going to be like lining up outside our door. Like, Oh, Mr. Green Leo, would you perhaps partake in this Hill street blues spinoff? And you're like, mm, I'll consider it if I have the time. And that like makes or breaks these young actors. You are so full of yourself.
2: First of all, what I was saying is I like people. So if I like a person, I follow their career. Second of all, I want to note that when we were talking about Three's Company, you were saying, oh, my references are all old and out of touch, unlike yours, which are sharp and hip and with it. Yes. And now you're making like ancient Rome references. Yeah, well, that's
1: what the hip kids do. No. Ancient Rome is so old, it's cool again.
2: Uh, yeah, Pooperman.
1: Okay, your your Twitter bio is literally a Tacitus quote, so don't give me that shit. Okay, so so you were talking about uh, taking all the interesting aspects out of a show and kind of making something else in a in a desperate attempt to kind of change things up, but still attract your old audience. Why would you bring that up at the beginning of this? So so the character
2: uh, of Bonds was designed for an urban setting. Yeah, uh, and suddenly, well, we he's ha-
1: still in he's still in Beverly Hills, but it's
2: different. It's like and, fancy. And like his criminal informant is now like his best friend. And they want to like have their cake and eat it too. Where they make him kind of tough and gruff, but uh he's really a nice fella. <laughs> but oh, he might make a little comment here or there, but he's he's really a nice fella.
1: <laughs> this show was so odd. I really was kind of surreal watching it. I've I mean, I I'm not familiar with the the Hill Street Blues characters, but this just felt like like a, like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of something.
2: Hill Street Blues, maybe. This is controversial to say. Oh, whoa. Back in the day, it was revered as this great uh, achievement in television. Uh, I watched some of the later seasons at the time, thought it was pretty good. But then I remember when I got my hands on the DVDs of the first season, it was just like a little like a high school play. <laughs> so I don't I don't feel like it's aged well.
1: Like it was novel for the time to have an ensemble cast of cops and have policing be portrayed as maybe something, maybe a little bit more morally gray than just black and white good guys versus bad guys. I feel other
2: shows subsequently, such as NYPD Blue, frankly. Or The Wire. Have done that much better, and with more depth. So it was like a necessary transition show,
1: right? It was it was important to to TV history of police procedurals, but has not survived scrutiny.
2: So I still have some fond memories of certain episodes. Uh, I don't think I'd recommend it to you.
1: Yeah, that, I, I have some shows that I feel ab- uh, about that where you're like, this isn't really that good. But like maybe it got people to think about TV in a different way. I mean, I'm a big Lost fan. And that was, of course, just garbage storytelling, especially and towards the end. you're always
2: talking about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. No, I'm not. And the influence that that had on you as a thinker.
1: All I know about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is that in when I was in elementary school, all the boys in the class were obsessed with that, and I, rightfully uh, as a, as a budding young feminist, said that's just dumb boy shit. I don't know. I don't want to know about that. They were always telling me, "Well, you can be the pink Power Ranger," and it's like, why the fuck am I having to be? I want to be. I mean, my favorite color is purple. So you're just how 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 minimizing. So how did, so, insulting. So
2: it truly did influence you as a thinker. No, it didn't. Was was there a purple Power Ranger?
1: I don't know. But, I mean, I would rather be that than the pink Power Ranger. Why do I have to be pink just because I'm a girl? That's, That's fucked up. Hey, you should be purple. I should be purple. I should be whatever the fuck I want. That's right. It's a free country. Yes precisely i don't want to be i don't want to be boxed in by this fucking patriarchal bullshit no i'm just kidding i i never watched power rangers i don't think my parents let me because i think it was considered kind of uh, like violent or something i don't know
2: so they thought it would be too much for you they They, thought they 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 didn't want me to get any ideas they thought it'd give you like nightmares
1: they thought i'd probably start being really violent no i'm just kidding yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah. thank god that never happened
1: pull pull's collar (laughs) No, it's, uh, so let's, let's shall we talk about Bunts And can we also talk about how this came, how this bullshit boomerang back into our lives? Because it's not like, we've talked about Hill Street Blues recently. That's not how we figured, that's not how we thought about this. There's a very specific trigger point that we encountered that led us into the arms of Bunts.
2: And the interesting thing about this particular trigger point is, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about.
0: Refresh so, my memory. So
1: we recently we were always looking for Kevin and I like to have little snacks as a treat. We like a, like a little evening snack sometimes. So there's a oh. couple of different places where you can go around Indianapolis, and you know it depends on what you're feeling, what you want to do. You can have custard, you can have pie, you can have cakes. What are we you know what are we going to get? There's a
2: huge variety of ways to wreck your health and become obese. Exactly. And we explore them all.
1: Yes. We're both very unhealthy people. And so what we ran into recently, there's a place called nothing. the name is an actual pun. Nothing bunt cakes. Haha. Ha. It's like those cakes with a circle that are like a circle with a hole in the middle. And and they're pretty good. But so when we when we came across that Kevin, like his eyes like rolled back, went totally like his pupils expanded, his eyes went totally black, and he started rattling off this nonsense about how the guy from Hill Street Blues and NYPT NYPD blue was this bunt guy, and he went to you know he went to LA, he went to Beverly Hills with his friend, and they you know did they just totally soften the show? And it was you know just a comedy, and I, I was scared, so I I you know I said okay we can watch it when we get home, sweetie, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. I'm like patting his back, he's just like babbling from the back seat because I had to drive us home after that. It was just a nightmare, but yes, the bunt cakes, fucking nothing bunt cakes ruined our lives, <laughs> even more so than a dessert place will normally. That's what happened.
2: Okay, so I have no recollection of that event. Uh, yeah, and, 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 I know you
1: blacked uh, out. You didn't remember a week after that. <laughs> it's like it was like a fucking like you're like a like a sleeper like agent that like has like come online, but now you just want to watch really bad 1980s shows.
2: So one thing about this show, <laughs> this particular episode, we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty of it yeah. later. But a lot of it takes place at what is purported to be a high end Beverly Hills clothing store where you can buy like really fancy shirts.
1: They throw the brand name Armani around a lot. It's so
2: a really high class place. So I, I just want to point out a few things about this high class store that caters to the elite.
1: It looks like a the super wealthy. It looks like an outlet store at a crappy mall.
2: Number one. In the middle of this high class store, there's a payphone,
1: <laughs> so you can call your butler on the fly.
2: Is is this realistic? You've been in more high class stores than I have.
1: I don't think I've been in a lot of high class stores. I mean, I like, like I really, I'm just want to emphasize that I have not. I I go, I'm a, I'm a I'm a Target lady. I'm a TJ Maxx lady. But yeah, this looked more like. This looked like this looked like for people who may I don't know if this was a national chain but like this the, the like TJ Maxx was bargain bin prices but you could get some pretty good stuff and then the TJ Maxx trucks were being robbed by the store that's a ste- that was a step underneath which was AJ Wright and that was just like fucking clusterfuck I mean like you didn't know what you were going to get in there and that this looked like that big lot maybe that and big lots combined just very messy, very grimy, payphones. Uh, it, it, it did not have the appearance of a, a a hot couture clothier. That was my take.
2: And then number two, uh, they, they kind of play this. I think it was supposed to be funny, but also it was supposed to be somewhat plausible. The, in the middle of this store, they would take a lot of ties from a, a man who owned those ties, and they were stained, and they were stained ties, and they would offer them for sale. Is that real? That seems like something you find in a thrift store.
1: That 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 seemed even sub-thrift store. I don't think most thrift stores want to take anything dirty. That's gonna <laughs> that's gonna turn people off. It, that just seemed bizarre. Uh, and and like you can you can do resale, but I mean like I. Uh, I mean, like, wouldn't that kind of damage your relationship with other vendors? If other Like, if Armani comes in and they're like, our suits are right next to a bunch of, like, just, like, stained ties that you, like, got from an estate sale or something. Do, do we want our stuff associating with that? I wouldn't.
2: And they also sell, like, underwear and socks. But I guess that's...
1: That's not that weird. But at one point... Ugh, there's so many retail questions with this. <laughs> at one point the manager of the store tells I'm just going to call him Sipowitz. <laughs> His name is Buns. Buns. He tells Buns, "Hey, you better get you you know, you suck at selling suits, I guess, or shirts or whatever. Uh, why don't you go in the underwear and clo- uh, sock section to sell things there?" Nobody wants to You wouldn't have somebody working on commission in that section. I mean, like people are just going to be like getting whatever size like like there's no like trying i mean what are we doing here that's my question what the fuck are we doing here
2: yeah i can see what well, you maybe me want someone's opinion is this this suit or that suit look better but yeah you, you, you i want dark socks i want underwear i i don't the last time i was buying underwear right? we won't even go into that
1: Oh, God, I mean, and I'll say they they were talking about six percent they were they were they were talking about they were uh they're getting six percent shrink, which means inventory disappearing, which is often due to uh theft. and that that's a very high margin of shrink. like that's that's pretty bad. Like you're typically getting below two percent. It's higher for clothing stores because there's a lot more theft there. But uh, I was shocked by that. <laughs> I think that's a moment to call the police, maybe not Bunce.
2: <laughs> so that was the moment where you thought, well, maybe this show isn't like a documentary.
1: I don't know. Or maybe they just have a really bad problem. At some gritty realism.
2: So why don't you actually start talking about the story?
1: So a clothing store hires Bunce and his partner to... Uh, come in and be undercover store detectives essentially and what they're having this immense shrink problem uh clothing is disappearing from the store they're losing a lot of money they want to figure out who's stealing what's going on and so uh Bunce is on the case and he's yelling at all the customers who want to get jackets and stuff and he's trying to figure it out and as you can tell it's like you know it's pretty low stakes <laughs> And then he meets the owner's son, Jay Silver Jr. or something. and he's he's like this kind of flashy young man who's all like, I want to buy your ties. Your ties are so crazy da, 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 da. And he like owes a lot of money to bookies and stuff. And you know, like that's kind of, I mean, I mean that's basically he's stealing stuff to pay off his bookies, basically. And then he for some reason forms this really weird relationship with Bunce. Where he's kind of like, Bunce is mean to me. So, like, I gotta seek out Bunce's approval. And, like, I need to learn the ropes from him. He'll teach me a lesson.
2: So what did you make of that element of the proceeding? It
1: was kind of handled weirdly seriously. Like, to the point that you have a scene with the... You know, he tells the the kid to get out of here and, like, maybe try not stealing. And maybe then I'll give you some advice. And the kid's, like, looking back, lingering his gaze on him. He's looking back at as he's driving away in, in a car. He's, you know, and at the end, it's Bunce sitting, you know, watching watching some game with his buddy. And the buddy's like, oh, why are you so obsessed with that case? Why did you really care? And he's like, maybe I'll have a son one day.
2: He's like, oh, do you want a son like him? Nah, he's the reason why you keep it in the pants and then we fade to black.
1: Yeah, it was like kind of like an oddly, (laughs) oddly contemplative scene. What the fuck was
0: that? Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back
2: So one problem is that the show is, I think you thought this wasn't a problem, but one problem is the show was only like 22 minutes. Yeah,
1: that was fine. If, If you told me this is 40 minutes, I would have been like, you know, maybe let's just pull the plug.
2: But the problem is you have to set up the story, have your little attempts at humor, and then introduce this character and have him form some sort of genuine relationship with Bunce all in 22 minutes. they don't really have time for that.
1: They don't really have time for that. And it's not like there's any real suspense. Uh, They don't really have time because they want to dedicate so much time to that. They don't have time to say like, oh, is it the aggrieved manager or the too nice to be real saleswoman or the uh, 'er ne'er-do-well owner's son? Who could it have been? Let's figure out and without alienating people and getting fired. Like, so they don't really have any time to like... You know, but they also waste a lot of time. They waste a lot of time on just kind of dumb stuff and, oh, ha, ha, isn't it funny that Bunce's partner's really good at selling clothing and he's really bad. You know, like, they just kind of, it felt like it, it was a very leisurely meandering pace, some of the dialogue felt oddly naturalistic like i, I you know like it wasn't all horrible but just in terms of writing that was some you know, of
2: the people who worked on the show went on to do nypd blue yeah
1: so i could see there's talent here. there's talent here i thought yeah I, so some of the dialogue was shockingly sharp it felt like you were kind of like wow that actually sounds like something somebody would say and i'm seeing it on nothing buns cakes or whatever <laughs> And that's surprising, but I was like, kind of impressed with that. So, how did they get? How did how did they get hired from Bunts to to, to PD Blue?
2: Uh, they worked for Stephen Botchko, so they they went from uh, Hill Street Blues to uh, this program, and then eventually. Uh...
1: I'm not gonna lie. I know I busted this episode's balls a lot, but I was almost impressed that they had the guts to try to have an emotional core to this very silly premise and show. It sounds to me... I mean, I...
2: It sounds to me like you've got a little mild case of Bunt's fever. It sounds to me like you'd want to watch more episodes. I
1: don't think I'd want to watch more episodes, but I will say, like, it's one thing to just be kind of revel in your lack of ambition, and it's one thing to be a very flawed creation, but... Have some ambition. I don't think they fulfilled said ambition at, or even came close. But the fact that you see somebody like at least trying to do something makes me a little bit more appreciative of it than something that's like just doesn't give a shit. So, I mean, I'll say that in its favor. I think you often say when we're watching things that you would prefer something, try something a little bit more ambitious and fail. Then just do the same old tired stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think I I tend to feel that way. And, you know, I was, I was like, you know, good for them. They didn't get there. They missed the bus. They missed they the trying. bunts, butts but they were, the bunts, bus, whatever. They were trying, just like I'm trying to speak. <laughs> it's not going well, but it's we're. It's not, it's not, you're yeah, really struggling. You're, I'm struggling, but we're trying and we're getting something done. <laughs>
2: So you've never seen Three's Company? No. So if I say, oh, Mr. Roper, Mrs. Roper, Chrissy Snow.
1: You just... See, I'm just scared your eyes are going to roll back again like when we were in the nothing bunt cakes parking lot.
2: And again, just for the record, that never happened. No,
1: it did. Speaking in tongues, it was frightening.
2: (laughs) Uh, You're what they call an unreliable narrator. (laughs) So does this make you curious to watch other Bunce episodes? Does it make you curious to go back and watch Norman Bunce on Hill Street blues?
1: I mean i not curious enough to like actively advocate for any of that No, you know, I can give a little compliment to something and not be like, you know, oh yeah i wanna I wanna really re- revel in this." <laughs> My question was what was the what was the reaction to this? this show, the spin-off. Did it last 13 episodes? So they everyone hated it. Did everyone hate it or did it just not get any attention? I think everyone hated it. Everybody was like what the fuck is this? Why do you think there was the backlash?
2: It's not really that good.
1: It's it I I would say it's actively bad. Uh with the- a, I I said some nice things about it, but I would say the whole effect is not good. It's just it's it, it it's not succeeding. At having real emotion, it's not succeeding at being really funny. Um, maybe some of the dialogue is a bit fun, but it's not. It's not. It's not a funny show. I was not laughing during this. No, it was more of like it's like it's like when you're if you're a teacher grading a test and you're like, oh, I see what they were trying to do here with this math equation. Got the totally wrong answer, but I can understand how they went went astray here. It's like that kind of. It's like that grudging kind of like I understand this. You're still getting an F.
2: Yeah, I wonder if the same creators would have done a better job a few years later when they had a bit more experience.
1: Bit more experience, and I think having it be more of a broad comedy just doesn't really work. And and like it's it doesn't feel detailed or textured enough. Like I don't feel like I'm really getting any sense of what it's like to work in a fancy Beverly Hills store. You're not really getting a glimpse into the glitzy lifestyle. Everything just looks like a dump. It looks like at a budget like of five dollars.
2: And then I guess I also ne- never really explained if this store was so successful as the cornerstone of this man Silver's massive fortune. They're having some thieving issues. Wouldn't you hire a more established firm to investigate?
1: Yes. Yeah. Or you know, it, and and like having it be. Yeah. And then the manager admits, "Oh, I've been—it's been six percent shrink, but I've been reporting three percent. So, like, what? <laughs> where's the rest of the money coming out of that guy's pocket?" <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just—it was just kind of meh. But I mean, I'd be curious if there's any episodes that are like notably bad in like a funny way. I'd be—I'd be interested in seeing that. And yeah, I'd be interested in seeing Hill Street Blues, although it really doesn't sound that good from what you've said. Sounds like it was maybe important, but has not held up.
2: I I think, you know, I could show you an episode or two of Hill Street Blues that uh, would blow you away.
1: Blow my mind?
2: Yeah.
1: I become blue-blooded. I assume that's what the fans are called. <laughs>
2: uh, there was also a show called Bay City Blues about a uh, minor league baseball team.
1: <laughs> and then NYPD Blue. Too many blues.
2: Too much blues in the night.
1: Yeah. Too much blues in the night. Blues clues. That was a favorite of mine. <laughs> so, a so small how, child.
2: I, so how did that show affect you intellectually? Uh,
1: <laughs> it, made, it made me think of objects as having their own personalities, I guess. Because it's like all like, you know, like the mailboxes, a person and talks and the salt and pepper shakers have a child paprika together it's crazy very trippy
2: i didn't watch that because i was reading books and watching adult programs
1: yes because you're much older than me <laughs> <laughs> congrats <laughs> have we bunced out
2: <laughs> i think
0: so.
1: Feel me so uh
2: and of course at least in this particular episode when you feel that dana wheeler nicholson was criminally underutilized
1: Who is she? Was she the blonde secretary? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she didn't have it. She just had one line, basically.
2: And according to Wikipedia, she is the granddaughter of Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson, who founded DC Comics. So I had to watch it.
1: I would say that Fit to be Tied ties itself up in knots, attempting to inject an emotional core to a silly premise. But the end result is a TV program with a marked down feel.
2: Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenlee, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at Mystery to Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
2: And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at Mystery to Me Podcast at gmail.com.
1: We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so much, much for listening. For listening.